As we continue this series of messages for our theme this year, uh, we've been hitting all kinds of attributes about God and all kinds of actions we can take as a result of that, what we can do with our attitudes, what we can do with our faith. And today, I'm going to encourage you and remind you and remind myself again today that we can get off the bus and chase your dream because God is in sovereign control of your life. And when we know that God is in sovereign control of our lives, it impacts everything. We can put our head on the pillow at night knowing that no matter what comes our way or what's coming our way, that it's already passed through the hands of an infinite God. And so I'm going to encourage and I'm going to show you from Scripture how we can trust God, how, how he longs for us to dream big dreams, knowing that when they're birthed from him, they can come to fruition even if it takes a detour or two. Some of you might be in the midst of a dream coming true that you've longed for as a kid, maybe as an adult, maybe more recently, and you think the dream has been lost or it's dead because it doesn't appear like it's ever going to happen. But if it's God birth and you continue by faith believing that, it might look a little different than the path that you had placed in mind for that to happen. It might have taken a left or a right, and you might be going underground or an overpass, but God is in complete control. I want you to think about that for a second. That Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 reminds us as this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He holds the whole world together. I feel like I want to break out. He's got the whole world in his hands. Um, but I'll save you that beautiful voice and song. But the reality is this, that God has every molecule. He has every particle. He has every country. He has every ocean. He has every city. He has every country place, every store, every home. He has everything completely in his hands. And scripture says he holds it all together. And if any moment God would choose to let go of these things, the world that he's holding together, it would come to a cataclysmic crash. So every event of your life, of my life, is held together and runs through the hands of an infinite, sovereign God who not only created this, but holds his creation together. And he will never let loose of that. So in light of that, as you think about your individual life here in the United States of America, and your individual state, and your individual city, and your individual life, God not only holds all of it together, but he holds you together. And everything that happens to you runs through his hands, even your dreams. Sometimes you might think that that isn't the case. But the reality is, when we dream a God-given dream, God not only holds it together, he promises to work it out for good for those that are called his own. Reason I tell you that is this. I personally think it's very important when you have a God birth dream to articulate it and write it down. I like to go and write down thoughts because what it does, it allows me to go back and say, 
You remember when, Ann, we had that dream for our family? Do you remember, Ann, when we had that dream for Grace Community? And so I believe it's important to write it down. That way you can go back and say, wow, look what God has done. Let me just give you one journal here of of many thoughts, of some thoughts that, and dreams that I've had for Grace Community Church. This was dated May 11, 1999. Isaiah was barely a month old. And it says this, it's Tuesday night. We had a short night. Hannah is sick, but very good about it. Josh has a t-ball game tonight. I love to watch him play. Hannah went across the monkey bars last night and rode her bike to and from school with me. We had a great turnout at Grace Community Church on Sunday. We had 75 people in the first service and 68 in the second. God is blessing I do not want to thwart what he is doing. Dad is deeply depressed, but I know God can deliver him. Sure wish my sisters would quit worrying so much. God, I want to do whatever it takes to show you I believe and have faith in seeing our church explode for you. We would love to have a drummer and a new multi-purpose facility. Show me how to help this process. I feel a little tired physically but I have had a real good spiritual time with God. I believe he is preparing me and my family and church for something really big. I love you, Lord, and desire to bless you to bless this work here and to help us reach many more. Pray for Scott Swinehart that he will be our drummer. Give me more of your heart, God. Wednesday, May 12, 1999. I'm going on a field trip today with Hannah to Everts. Josh had a t-ball game last night, and we lost, but it was fun. Scott Swinehart is looking for his drumsticks. Praise the Lord. Ann and I aren't sleeping too much these days. Oh, well, it's par for the course. I'm trying to think of ways to step out in faith more for our church's future. I know God is able, and I just want to show him more. Teach me how to show more faith to my God. Lord, I believe you for 250 people in our church and a drummer, and many guitar and keyboard players, and a multi-purpose facility, and an effective youth ministry, Lord. I'm going to believe Habakkuk 2, verses 2 to 3, that you will certainly come and not delay in your vision requests. Thank you, Jesus, for love and newness and freshness every morning. Please, God, use me and my family in unbelievable ways in this fellowship and church. Please allow this opportunity with Wheeland Designs to bring new contacts for our church. Bring a fresh wind and fresh fire of the Holy Spirit into my life and the church life. Take us where we have never been before. September 28. I just spent a day with you at the Focus Retreat, Lord. I want to know you in a more intimate way. I want my prayer life to be deeper and more passionate. Dan Gregory gave a great teaching on loving your people. Help me to love with a greater compassion. Lord, help me understand humility like your son Jesus. I know that if I humble myself, you will lift me up. I desire that our church would grow in their prayer life too, God. Father, I pray that our walls will not be able to contain your work. God, help me to be humble as you grow our church. I want to thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. Thanks for my wife and kids. I love them dearly. Lord, please grow our church before our annual congregational meeting. Let them see that you are behind this move to two services. I am believing for 100 people in the early service and 75 in the second service by this fall. Thanks, God. You are awesome. 
Zechariah 9.23 has impacted me, as has Acts 4.13 through 20. One more entry of many. May 6, 2004. Well, today is National Day of Prayer. We are fasting as elders and asking you to bless the building campaign. I pray, Lord, that you will be glorified and magnified in this whole building project. Lord, would you amaze us with your resources and provide a large financial gift from a source we have not yet considered? We need your help. Thanks for Eduardo's salvation last night. Please, Let our testimony grow in large ways. And may we be a place where lives are changed and and people are saved in the thousands. Help us to find a rental place for our offices and a meeting place for prayer encounter and a meeting place for youth and children. May the four walls of Goshen Middle School not be able to contain what you can do. I love you, Jesus. You're the famous one. Please, God, I beg you to continue to bless us. It's always good to go back and to look at dreams that God birthed and then to fast forward to today and to see that God is faithful and to see that God is able and to see that God did place that dream. And when that happens, your faith explodes. And so the next obstacle or the next dream that comes, you know that God did this, then certainly he can do that. Today we see a a young man who had a dream. And the dream came to fruition, but it didn't come the route that probably he expected it to. But God was faithful and did immeasurably more than what he was asking or imagining. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean and turn to Genesis chapter 37. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers would be glad to put one in your hand. And when you find Genesis chapter 37, I ask that you would stand with me And we'll read it together. Genesis 37, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Genesis 37, verses 1 through 8. Let's read this together. Ready? Read. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. You may have a seat. Here's what I know personally, and you know personally. Here's what I know about dreams. The second you write them down, the moment you articulate them to someone or to a group of people, the second you put it out in the business place or your family or your, or your community, The second you offer a dream that is about to bring change, 
your dream will be contested. How do I know that? I know it from experience, and I know it from the Word of God. Look at Genesis chapter 37. Joseph has this dream, tells this dream. Look at verse 5. It says, Joseph had a what? What's the word? Dream. And when he told it to his brothers, verse 5, chapter 37, they what him all the more? They hated him all the more. Well, that's a great start to articulating a dream, isn't it? You speak it. You speak your vision. You let people hear it. And as soon as you speak it, haters come on the scene. Twitter lights up. Social media begins to criticize your dream. And all of a sudden, this thing that was God-birthed, all of a sudden gets contested. Pause and think about that statement for a second. Dreams can cause people to oppose, reject, and even hate you. Your dream will be contested many, many times over when you put it out in front of people. Even though Joseph was the favorite son, it doesn't mean he can't dream. Look at verse 8. Look what happens. Verse 8 said, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they what him all the more. What's it say again? Hated him all the more because of his what? And what he had said. Let me put it out there. Opposition is normal for those who have big dreams, who have God-birthed dreams. Opposition is normal whether it comes as an obstacle, whether it comes to a person, whether it comes to the enemy himself, whether it comes to a roadblock. But keep in mind, when God births it in your heart, he is in complete control of the outcome, even when the odds seem stacked against you. Do you believe that, by the way? I absolutely believe that. If it's a God-birth dream, and you put it out there, and someone says, listen, we've tried that before here. That'll never work. When I was 18, I tried that. That's a dumb idea. We don't need to change. Why would you say something like that? Let me, let me just put another line out there. If someone, if your wife speaks something that's on her heart, a dream, and she says, hey, baby, this is a dream that I have. Listen to me, husbands. Don't shut her down. Don't all of a sudden critically run it through your mind and say, well, it won't work because of this, 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 and this. Listen, that's not a good thing to do. Listen to the dream, especially if it's birthed from God, and let her know, listen, I will take this to God with you. The same is for wives, for their husbands. If your husband's come home and says, I feel like God is, is directing me in this path and going this way, And you're thinking, I don't want to change. I don't want to move. I don't want to go to a new community. I don't want to go to a new state. I don't want to leave my kids. I don't want to do it. And just just listen and pray before you respond. And just share that you're glad that God gave them a dream. Even if your dream is opposed, God ultimately can bring it to fruition. Let me just say this about God birthed dreams. It's not a God-given dream if you can accomplish it yourself. And God will never bless something that's only for you. Here's what I mean by that. If you got this dream for your family, for you in the workplace, for you in your future, for you in this ministry that you're leading, if somehow you can say, 
because I have these resources and I have these people and I have this in the bank and, and I have this education and if, if I do this and I do that, I do this and if I keep bulldozing my way like, like a bull in the channel shop, I can make it happen. If you can make it happen without God, it's not a God birth dream. There has to be some element about this dream that you say this, Lord, I'm going to do everything I can. And I'm going to look really stupid unless you come through. I love when God gives me those kind of dreams where there have been many times, even as we lead Grace Community Church, where we have put our necks on the lines and we're saying, Lord, if you don't show up this Sunday, if you don't show up this Friday night, if you don't show up this summer, if you don't show up this winter, if you don't show up at this event, we're going to look really stupid. I love putting, putting God's reputation on the line because guess what? He can handle his reputation and he likes to show off. When's the last time you gave God a chance to just show off in your life? When's the last time you said, God, here, here, here. I long for you to do this so that you can get greater glory. Joseph is doing that. When we understand that God is in sovereign control, we do not let any opposition thwart our steps. Let me just say this about God's sovereignty and his control. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Jesus, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Our God is ultimately in control. So what happens? They hated him all the more. Look what happens next in verse 9. Then he had another dream. I love this. He didn't stop. He didn't say, well, they oppose that. I better not tell them the next one. It didn't stop Joseph because he knew it was birthed from God. God spoke to him. Verse 9 says, then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Can you imagine like this is your little bro? Like, have you ever had a little bro like that? Like you just want to beat him up? But he's coming after you. And even though... They hated him for that first dream. It didn't stop him because God continued to speak to him. He says, not only will I rule over you and God give me a platform to the nations, but not only that, but I will rule over the nations. And so his brothers heard that. He didn't let the haters stop him. He didn't let the critic stop him. He knew that somehow... God was in complete control of his life. And when we risk God's reputation, God can handle himself. I wonder this, and I wonder this this week for me personally, because I I personalize these messages. I wonder how often God looks at your life and my life and says, why didn't you ever give me a chance with that? Why did you somehow think that you need to be a self-made man or a self-made woman? Why did you think that you could do a better job than I can? I hope God doesn't look at us that way. So what happens? He tells him another dream. Look at his brother's response. Verse 11 says this. His brothers were what of him? What's the word? Jealous of him. But his fathers kept the matter in mind. This is often what surfaces. And I know every one of you has experienced this. You put your dream out there. And before you know it, you share it. And people get angry, they get jealous, and they even say, how dare you? How dare you change that? I have had this happen, and you have too, on numerous occasions. 
after sharing a dream, people get jealous. And here's why I believe jealousy surfaces. And this is the reason. They are jealous that they aren't attempting it because of their own fear. And they certainly don't want you to accomplish it with Christ either. And often they're jealous because they didn't think of it first. His brothers are jealous of him. They are angry at him. Most dreams stop, literally, before they even get put into motion because we have an emotion of fear concerning what people will think about our dream. Do you realize this? That God has wired our brains in such a way that they're designed to protect us. And when we hesitate from fear or uncertainty, it sends a stress single to our brains to stop. And what happens is we repeat behavior. Let me give you a for instance. Maybe, maybe you're sitting in a meeting and you know as you're listening to this person deliver whatever this meeting is about that you need to speak in such a way that might direct this path differently. Or you might be sitting there and asking the Lord to reveal what you should do with that. And the Spirit of God is saying, you need to speak on this. And yet you hesitate from fear or another emotion. And the second, listen, the second that you and I hesitate, it sends a signal to our brain of stress. And as soon as your brain hits stress, it stops you. I say, oh, Lord, don't let me be that person who's afraid to step out in faith. Don't let me be that person who, who gets a, a piece of hate mail or a critic over here because I put this out. And because of that, I hesitate and I shut down what you want to do. Your brains have been designed to protect you from taking steps of risk. And many dreams stop because of an emotion of fear. Here's what dreams do. And it's doing this for Joseph's brothers. Our dreams often disrupt the status quo of our homes, of our workplaces, of our communities, of our marriages, of our families. And when they do, people will try to stop you. But we all know that you can never finish what you do not start. And because of that, many Christians, Christ followers, are living in what I would call delayed obedience. You know you're supposed to be stepping out in faith. And so you give that dream and people reject it because it means they have to change. It means they have to move. It means they have to relearn. It means they have to re-educate. It means they have to reevaluate. It means they have to sacrifice. It means that everything that's safe around them that they're used to, Monday through Sunday, 24-7, is now being disrupted. And so what happens, their brains want to shut you down. Dreams often disrupt the status quo. Joseph had a dream that is being opposed. And he could lose his life over this. But he doesn't back down. So what happens to him? Look at chapter 37. Look at verse 19. So Joseph went to his brothers, told them this dream, and look what their response. Verse 18 says, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to what him? Not only were they haters, man, they wanted to wipe him out. And then it says this in verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. 
Come now, let's do what to him? What's it say? Kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his what? Little does Joseph know that his blessed life is about to take a turn into rough waters. Yet does the blessing of God and dreams that we pursue exclude waiting, wandering, and hardship? You know, it's easy to believe and take faith that God is with us when our kids are healthy. It's easy to believe that God is with us when the bills are being paid. It's easy to believe that God is with us when we return from a vacation from Hawaii. It's, it's easy to believe that God is with us when our marriages are on talking terms and things are going peachy sweet. It's easy to believe it. But what happens when we head into rough waters, when our life seems to be torn apart Our dreams appear to be shattered when it seems like we can't get a break, when the doctor's report is shocking. What happens then? Here's what I know to be true. God is in control even when it appears he isn't. So what do they do? What happens? Look at verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now, I think it's important that the author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, puts this last sentence on verse 24. The cistern was what? There was no what in it. Why do you think he said that? Because it means when they threw him in there, it was... Have you ever seen a deep hole dug? where there was a place to have a cistern. It means this. Here's what I know to be. Not only did they throw him into a cistern, he hit the ground. And there's no doubt in my mind when they tossed him in that he was bruised, that he was battered, that he had scars, and that it hurt. Not only did they want to get rid of him, but he found himself in the bottom of a dry cistern that he was probably battered because of the hardness of the ground. So what does a teenage boy headed to an unknown place with an incredible dream do with strangers he doesn't know, a foreign country he's never been to? What does he do when this happens? He presses on with confidence even when it doesn't seem fair. He knows God is with him. Have you ever really thought about what might have been gone through this teenager's mind at this time. All he did was articulate a dream that he had. Yet somehow he believed and knew that God was with him, even though he had haters and brothers that wanted to kill him, even though he was in the bottom of a cistern and no one would come from his family to rescue him, even though it appeared like the dream was dead, Joseph's faith continued to grow. And here's why. You and I need to know this. God wants what is best for us more than we want what is best for us. So have you ever had a Joseph kind of month? Maybe it's right now. Maybe currently right now you're feeling like everything is crumbling around you. Maybe you've had days wondering if you can make it with your teenage daughter and teenage son. 
and you have this dream that they blossom into this, this child that chases after Jesus and respects their parents and honors others. Maybe, maybe Satan has hammered you hard this month. Have you asked God for relief? Maybe something you really enjoy doing has been taken from you because of injury. Maybe, maybe, maybe you, you wanted to compete in this race. Maybe you wanted to climb this mountain. Maybe you wanted to, to do this for the community. But because of this injury, you can't do it. Maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend has just broken up with you. Maybe a vacation you just planned got disrupted because of an unexpected expense. So what does a person do when they are confident that God is with them? I think they say, let's make the best of this situation because God is with us and he's working behind the scenes and he is in sovereign control of this dream and my life and there is nothing that can stop my God. See, we have to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. Think about this for a second. Why should we continue to believe, even if it appears there's been a detour? Maybe you have a dream one day to, 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 to marry someone that chases after Jesus. And maybe it's been disrupted. and Maybe it's taken a turn left or right. And And maybe you long to see that happen. So should you give up on that dream if it's been birthed by God, if he's placed this desire into your heart to have this this covenant relationship before God? Should Should you give up when there doesn't appear like there's anyone on the scenes, when it seems like no one is out there, when it seems like every person that you see falls short of the expectations that you have for a man or woman, a husband or wife? What should you do? that? And why should you continue to chase that dream? Because 20 years from now, you will be far more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than the ones you did do. Like, I don't want to be a person. I don't want us to be people that that said, man, when I was 20, I wish I would have believed that God could do that. I wish I would have stepped out when I was 24. I wish I wouldn't let that fear to, 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 to paralyze me. I wish as a 16-year-old, I would have stood up for Jesus. I wish as a 40-year-old, I wouldn't have got into this status quo and all of a sudden was raising all this money and trying to bank for retirement and working 80 hours a week so that I could have my future. And then my health's taken from me when I'm 60 that I thought I had control of, but I didn't. You will regret not doing things more than the things and remember the things that you did. So what's Joseph do? He gets thrown into a cistern. What happens? Look at chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So here he is. By the way, he's 17 years old. Our youngest son, Isaiah, is 17. And I often think about this when I read accounts like this. Have we, Ann and I as parents, have we prepared Isaiah to handle a traumatic event in his life in such a way if we were no longer in the picture, if mom and dad were pulled out, if, if, if Jim was pulled from the picture, if Ann was pulled from the picture, if somehow something happened to us that separated or something happened to him that separated us from him, would he still 
step out and believe that God was in sovereign control of his life. And even though it appears like everything is falling apart, would Isaiah still be able to function and not just function, but believe and continue to step out in faith and know that no matter what's coming around me, dad, I believe in Jesus. Would your kids, would your kids be able to do that? See, I think that's our responsibility as parents. Sure, we can teach them to do a lot of things, but I think we need to deposit faith in them day after day, helping them to take risk steps, sending them on mission trips. And that's one of the reasons that I love going the other side of the world with our kids. That's been a practice. Our kids have been multiple times on the other side of the world. Why? We want them to see the world and trust Jesus in ways they never had. I want to know, and Ann wants to know, as we raise our kids, that they aren't solely dependent on us, but they're dependent on Jesus. Let me ask you a question as parents. Are you depositing faith into your children or are you doing everything for them? Are you allowing them to take steps that, that, that are dangerous? Are you allowing them to make decisions on their own? Because there will come a day when they'll need to do that. Somewhere, Jacob, there's no doubt, did that for Joseph. He just didn't appear on the scene at 17 years old and all of a sudden was this wise, faith-believing 17-year-old man. There is no doubt in my mind that he saw his father taking steps of faith. He saw his father depositing faith in him. And that's why he continued to trust God even though it appeared God wasn't with him. So imagine, he finds himself in a foreign country. Nothing is familiar Imagine your kid ending up in Cambodia all by themselves as a 17-year-old. How would they function? You see, we have the ability to see the whole story about Joseph. Don't over-spiritualize him. Don't think, well, he's different. He's in the Bible. No, he was a, a son raised by a father and a mother. Well, we say he was Joseph. You know, God had his hand on him. But don't dare forget that Joseph had to go through the fire before he became the Joseph that we read about 20 years from this point. And by the way, his dream appears to be dead, doesn't it? He's not going to rule over anybody. He's going to be a slave in a foreign country, never have a platform to exalt God. It doesn't appear that this is going anywhere. Look what it says in verse 2 of chapter 39 then. He just got sold to the Egyptians. And then it says this in verse 2 of chapter 39. The Lord was what, Joseph? What's it say? Don't you want to say, are you kidding me? That doesn't sound like I want to be with God if that's what with means. You mean you're going to send me to Asia by myself? Away from mom and dad? To people that I don't know? To a country that's not familiar? My dad thinks I'm dead. Family, I can't even, even if I tried to connect with them on social media, it's impossible. They think I'm gone. If God is with him, then why did he get treated the way he did? Why is he a servant for a person that he doesn't know in a foreign country? If God is with him, then he really shouldn't have all these bad things happen to him. Shouldn't he be home doing homework and preparing for college and out on a date with his girlfriend? You see, friends, God's will and our dreams often include challenges to be accomplished. 
It includes curveballs. It includes days where we wonder why this is happening. It includes pain as part of the journey. But Joseph was going to make the best of his under construction time. And he clung to this truth that God was with him and would make the best of his situation. Sometimes God lets us struggle until we recognize that he is in total control and that we can't do it by ourselves. Please keep this in mind as you think about this account in your own personal life. Your faith in the midst of your uncertainty strengthens the faith of others too. Like, it does for me. Like, I watch people walk through hard things, and you do too. And I stand back, and I'm amazed at how they trust God, even though it appears that they're in a cistern in a foreign country, a slave to someone else, and they still praise the Lord because they believe that God is with them. This is one of the primary reasons I long to be a person who steps out in bold humility and chase down my God birth dreams. I have a life goal, and it's pretty simple. And I'll articulate that to you. This is my life goal. And only by God's grace will it ever happen. And if it does happen, it's only by God's grace. It's not because of me. This is my life goal that I pray regularly for my life. My hope is that I am partially responsible for inspiring people to do far more, attempt far more, accomplish far more, achieve far more, love far more, believe far more, risk far more, dream far more than they ever thought possible with God after rubbing shoulders with me on this planet. That's my dream. That's, that's what keeps me going every day. I wake up and I say, God, help me to be partially responsible because ultimately, God, you do it. It's because of your work, but help me to influence someone to believe those things so that they can become the person you intended them to be. I think about that a lot, and I've been thinking about that even more so with the passing of my father. I think about legacy all the time. There's all kinds of discussion out in our world about legacy. And to be quite frank, I think some of the discussion needs tweaked some. But here's what I know to be true. Inheritance is what you leave for someone. And I'm grateful for my father. He left us an inheritance. And I'm grateful for what my father left us. Inheritance is what you leave for someone. But legacy? Legacy is what you leave in someone. Now, I am so grateful because my dad, he deposited his legacy into my life. Now, when I think of my dad, he was generous. He loved everybody. He had great faith. And when my dad passed, his legacy continues to live on through his kids. He left us. He put in us. Be generous, kids. Love others. Have great faith. He, he left an inheritance. But what is more valuable to me is the deposit of legacy into my life. Let me ask you a question. What are you depositing into your kids' lives? That's legacy. It's what you leave in them. Joseph is doing this. Even when it appears the dream is dead, God is sovereignly working out your dream in the way that you never thought it would go. And along the way, he gives us glimpses of hope to press on. Look at verse 3. 
Look what it says in 39. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became an attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household. And he entrusted his care to what? How much? Everything he owned. A foreigner in a different country without any family. And they looked at his life and they said, man, there's something different about you. Everything that you touch, everything that that you work towards, there's favor somehow. And others saw in him probably what he wasn't seeing at that moment in him. Have you ever had someone do that for you in your dream? Like you didn't even realize like, like that was in you and someone spoke into your life and you realize that was part of fulfilling your dream. That, that's happened to me numerous times. I've had men come to me in my life along the way that have spoken into my life and said things that, wow, I didn't, I didn't see that. That it helped me to become. Let, let, let me, for instance, like, I, 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 there, there's no way. Let me just say, no way. Like, there is, like, on my radar screen, as an 18, 19, 20-year-old young man, 17-year-old man, never, ne- and I say, never, did I ever think that I would have a public speaking role in front of anybody? Never. Like, like never, never, never. If I had to have public speeches in high school, I dreaded it. I, 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 I was shaking at my knees. And I would, I, would, I would get cotton mouth before I talked. Never did I ever think that that was God's plan for me to stand in front of you today. But someone else saw something in my life that I didn't see. Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was the fear of public speaking. Maybe my brain shut down and it was saying, no, Jim, don't speak, don't speak, don't speak, don't speak. It was when I began to help out with a young adult group, much like Pursuit, it was 18 to 28-year-olds, and a friend of mine, we got together and we said, hey, we don't have anything to do. We're out of college or out of high school. Let's get together. And, and so I started to, to lead this along with a, another guy. And, and I was forced to stand up in front of people and talk. And I remember like this. Here's how I read. Jesus is good. He's good. Amen. Amen. Another amen. Amen. But I'll never forget my friend Pete Bittner. Sitting in a pizza hut with him. 21 years old just chasing after Jesus. I'm sitting down and eating pizza and he's looking, I, I can go back and I went back to that restaurant and I can remember the place. He looked across the table and he said, Jim, I think you ought to consider college. <laughs> he said, I think you ought to think about ministry. And then he leaned across the table and he was eating, pizza was running down his face, I remember that part too. And he said, uh, he says, when you speak, people listen. Jesus, Amen. <laughs> And it was that conversation. Hear me out. It was that conversation that caused me to go home and get on my knees and say, Lord, I said I would do anything for you. And so I started looking at colleges and started pursuing and scared to death. I was scared spitless. And because of that conversation, someone saw something else in me. That's why I'm here today. And this man here, Joseph, had someone that saw something in him and saw that the Lord was with him and put him in charge of everything. 
If God is truly with us, then he will get us through it. He put Joseph in charge of everything. You see, Joseph lived believing that God was with him. You see, if we lived that way, we would not be so discouraged. We wouldn't have negative attitudes. We would press on knowing that God is with us and he's got it all figured out. You see, he lived each day giving his best, even if it was not the route he would have dreamed of. And let me just say this about your dream. Like somehow I, I just didn't appear like here someday. Like, like God just said, hey, since you want to do that, I'm going to move you here. It's hard work for your dreams. There are no shortcuts to seeing your dream, your God birth dreams come through. Because it's in the working and the shaping. It's in God's workmanship of our lives when he chisels us and he refines us and he convicts us and, and, and he, he molds us and, and he holds us and he comes through. It's in that shaping that we see that dream come true in our lives. There's no shortcuts. You will find your dream by working hard the day before and the day before that and the day before that and the day. There's no shortcuts to, to, to being used by God in watching your dream come true. So what happens? He puts him in charge and then verse 19 it says this in chapter 39. When his master heard the story, all of a sudden his, his wife wanted to come Potiphar's wife, is accusing him of, of having sex with, with, with her. And she fabricates this story because Joseph didn't. He didn't follow through with that temptation. And after she went back and told him, this is what the husband said when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how that slave treated me. He burned with anger. Then it says this, Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, verse 21 says this, the Lord was what? <laughs> Man, I would never consider my dream, and, 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 and seriously, from a human perspective, do you ever think Joseph thought, well, God must be with me. This is his path, his favor. When I know the prison, the prison warden knows me on a first name basis. Like, and I'm sitting in a striped suit in a cell. Like, praise God, you must be following Jesus. The Lord must be with you. But Joseph knew something. That even though his dream took a hard right and went south, that God was good on his word. And God had never taken that dream from him. The Lord was with him. I wonder, did he ever say, God, this doesn't feel like you are with me? <laughs> so what happens? We, we know what happens. The, the, there's a famine in the land. His dad thinks he's dead. His brothers think he's gone or dead. And, and so his, his father, Jacob, sends them to another country to see if they can find food because they're starving. And meanwhile, they have no idea who they're about to meet. And so when they go to this land, in verse, chapter 45, turn to chapter 45, they're just hungry. Dad send them out for some food. They're never on their radar screen did they ever think they would run into Joseph. Look at chapter 45. In front of him now, Joseph is standing with his brothers. They don't recognize him. But then it says this. Joseph said to his brothers, I am who? What's the word? Joseph. Look at verse 3. Chapter 45, verse 3. I am what? What does it say? Joseph. And he asked this question. I find it very, what's the first question uh, uh, he asked as a son? Is my father still living? Why, 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 why? I'll tell you why. Because within every young man, 
It's a desire to hear from his father. I am proud of you. I am proud of you. I am proud of you. He longs to be acknowledged by his father. And there is no doubt the first thing that he wanted to do was to tell his dad that he was doing okay and he was believing by faith that God was still with him. That's the first thing he had. He could have asked anything. Doesn't every man in this room want to still hear from his dad? I'm proud of you. Look what it says here. Then Joseph said to brothers, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. Why? Look what it says. Because they were what? What's the word? Terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. He might have had a beard. Maybe he had a little gray. I don't know. Because there's no way they thought it was him. And if it was, they were scared to death. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. Then, the one you sold in Egypt. (laughs) And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I often think about this when I read Psalm chapter 23. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. Psalm chapter 23 and verse 5 says this. That God will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Here it is, right here. This is is God preparing a table for Joseph in the presence of his enemies. Now just picture, just picture these these guys coming and they, they need to meet. The leader of the country, beg for food. Will you give us food? Dad, Dad sent us here. And so as they walk into this room, picture them. They walk into this room and they sit down at this table, one by one. They sit at this table. And at the end of this table is a seat. They haven't met the leader of the country yet. And so they're sitting down. They're kind of scared. They're sitting down. They're sitting down. And the person that can, can literally save their future is going to walk into this room. And just picture Joseph walking in. And he recognizes them. Wow, that's my brother. That's my brother. That's, that's my brother that hated me. That's my brother. That's my brother. And it says that God will prepare a table for us in the presence <laughs> of our enemies, of our haters. So can you imagine him setting the table? They don't know it's him. And he says, get close. And they look into his eyes. Joseph, God prepared a table for him in the presence of his haters. That's what God can do. If we remain faithful and we don't give up, the very people who are your greatest critic, your greatest enemy, God can set you in their presence and you have the opportunity literally to determine their future. You see, sometimes the greatest opposition comes from those that were on the cutting edge of what God did last. Isn't that true? I've seen it happen over and over in my life. I've seen it happen over and over in lives. The very people who walked with you, who believed in this dream, all of a sudden the dream comes to fruition and it didn't turn out like they wanted. And all of a sudden they are no longer with you for that next piece of the dream. You see, I don't want us and I don't want you to become yesterday's man. People who had the greatest influence in the years past. I believe as long as we have breath, God wants us to continue to step out into the deep end and trust him. 
So what happens? Look at, quickly look at Genesis chapter 50. Get to the end of his life. Genesis chapter 50. Look at verses 18 and 20. It says this. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Just like what Joseph said in his dream. Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for what? What's the word? good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The very dream, now hear me out. The very dream that they hated and tried to snuff out was the very thing they needed to save their lives. I love our God. He prepared a table in the presence of the enemies. That's what God can do. Amen. You see, here's what I know. My man-made words will never be able to express the gratitude, love, and thankfulness I have for our sovereign God. It's time to get off the bus and chase after that dream because God is in sovereign control of our lives. Oh, Lord, help us today. I pray, God, that, that you would renew that passion in us, that one maybe that we've let our brain shut us down with, and maybe because we've faced opposition or we've got some haters. I pray, God, that these dreams that you birthed in us, I pray that we would go and chase back after them so that you can show off and have greater glory. I pray, God, there'll come a time in our lives where where we understand that you are sovereignly in control of our lives and what man intends for evil, you turn it into good. I pray that this would be the year that we no longer live the status quo, but we chase after those dreams so that you get famous in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces. We love you, God, and we're grateful that you haven't given up on us. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you now, just listen to the words of this song that Pastor Jeremy is about to play. Let, let, it like, like, let it wash over you and baptize you and renew your faith about our God and his sovereign control. Just listen to it. beauty in our tears and you meet us in our moment with the love that casts our fear you are working in our waiting You are sanctifying us And beyond our understanding You are teaching us to trust Your plans are still to prosper 
You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are wisdom unimagined Who can understand your ways Reigning high above the heavens Reaching down in endless grace You're the lifter of the lowly You're compassionate and kind You surround and you uphold me And your promises are my delight Your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us You were with us in the fire and the flood You're faithful forever Perfect in love You are sovereign over Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. And even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. just want to sing that as a confession today. That's what we believe about our God. So just stand to your feet. If that's who you believe our God to be, just stand and sing that out. Cause even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. And even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good. Your plans, your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are faithful forever. 
sovereignly in control of the future of Grace Community. And we have a dream for Grace Community that's fresh and new. And next week, I, I, I ask you to come back. I ask you to come back and join us. Don't miss next week. This is Sunday you don't want to miss. We're going to share and I'm going to articulate a vision that God birthed in our hearts, in my heart. And our leaders wrap their hearts around it. And we believe that God wants us to continue to, to reach more in Elkhart County. And some of you might say, like, why should we continue to reach more? Because there's 150,000 people who don't know Christ. And I would think about it this way. Suppose for a moment or two, God in his infinite wisdom just decided, because he could have, that in 1921, he would stop reaching people. Like, the church is big enough. The church is, is big. We don't need the church, the bride of Christ, to be any bigger. So he said, that's it. That's, we don't need any more to reach. And he quit. Or suppose in 1931 he quit, or 1951, or 71, or 81, or 2001, God says, you know what, I'm done, I'm done. I'm tired of reaching people. I'm not going to reach anyone. What if God chose to stop reaching people because it's big enough? Well, probably many of us here will never have been reached. Next week, we're going to show you why we believe God wants us to reach more. It's one of the most exciting ventures I've ever been part of at Grace Community Church. It'll impact children youth, adults, grandparents, this community in a way that's never been impacted before. And we're believing that's what God wants us to do. And so we're going to step out in faith and watch God do something that's never been done before in a new and a fresh way. So I invite you to come back and hear that dream next Sunday. Don't miss it. Come back and join in on this journey with God. Lord, I pray for your blessing. I pray for faith for our people. I pray that you'll give us many tables in the presence of our enemies where we said, look what God has done. And I pray, God, you'll give us the faith when opposition comes to continue to pursue those dreams that you birthed in our hearts so that the world can be one to Jesus. Thank you, God, that you are in complete sovereign care of our lives and our dreams. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week. God bless you.